0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. I'm Evgeny, and I've been around security for the last 20 years. I have a lot of experience working with vendors and cybersecurity as well. As part of my mission in technology and cyber, I always got intrigued how vendor starts and what motivates people to start their journey. This podcast is also affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast, and I have Gabi today, to talk about his journey, what happened in his life. Gabi, can you please tell me about yourself quickly?
1: So first of all, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, a little bit about myself. I've been an entrepreneur for about 20 years now. I love building companies. I'm specifically in the IT and cyber security space. This is sort of what I've been doing for the past 20 years. Prior to Wiser, which is something maybe we're going to talk about today, I've had another company called Observe It, which is an insider threat company, helps to solve insider threat. We don't provide insider threat, right? So we help detect and prevent it. And that's something that I've been doing for about 12, 14 years. And we sold it to Proofpoint several years ago. And then I started Wiser, which is a security awareness training company.
0: In elevator pitch, what's Wiser and security awareness?
1: Yeah. So security awareness is generally helping employees to understand the attack vectors and and how they may be attacked by cyber criminals and to avoid those attacks, not to fall and not to become a victim. We do that by helping to train employees and we simulate attacks to test them on the fly to see that they actually learned and they know how to avoid those attacks. That's, you know that's sort of the big picture.
0: Sounds good. So tell me about what happened in your life. Why is it what? Two years old? Three years old?
1: Yeah, it's almost three years old. So after I sold uh, Observe It, what happened was that I, you know, I had time, more time with my family and friends. And I realized that I've been preaching cybersecurity to uh, companies and talking about insider threats. And then when I looked at my kids cyber hygiene I figured out that they are reusing passwords all day long and the reason they're doing it because school asked them to do that they gave them a single password and asked them to use it across all apps they didn't really know what multi-factor authentication is and basically no cyber hygiene I was shocked by that you know I thought because I do talk about it you know from time to time but I really had to like you know it's only when I examine what they're doing and I ask them, you know, detailed questions. That's when I realize they have no knowledge in online safety. So that triggered me to do something about it. And the problem that I saw in the market beyond the kids is that the content that has been delivered to to people, everything that has to do with education around cybersecurity and awareness, is very technical and people are zoning out. You know, they are bored by the content. It doesn't appeal to them and therefore they just skip. They don't actively want to watch any of the existing training videos. And that's where I thought we can excel. I thought that we can create... Short one-minute videos, very similar to TikTok or Instagram style. You know the stories where you—it's fast paced attention grabbing, emotional hooks—all of that things that we're used to see on social media. Because video is is pervasive, right? It's, it's me, video is like all over on on social media, and we use it. But when it comes to training, it it's boring. So that's where I thought we can make a a huge difference. And we started doing that, and people loved it. So I started sharing those
0: videos. So when you start, when you say start sharing the videos, and by the way, I'm guilty every time I did security awareness training because it was more than three, four minutes. I would just click, click, next, next, and then some kind of guess, guess the answer. So I understand what you're saying with that attention span. But when you did, you actually went and open a company, or you just do it by yourself? Like, what was the?
1: So here is the thing, you know, and if we go back, if we talk about how do you start a company, you have to see if there's a product market fit. So in my case, my thesis was that the existing content is not good enough. That's that's sort of the thesis that around that I wanted to build a company. So before going out and hiring developers and, and actually building a product, I created videos and I started posting them on LinkedIn and other social media apps to see what people will, you know, what the feedback will be. And to my surprise, people were sharing these videos. They loved them. So for me, that meant that we have something here because if people are complaining about security awareness videos when they are forced to watch them and when I share them, people actually reshare them and ask for links and send it to the families and it's optional, it's not being forced on them. That means there's something here. So the next step was, okay, how do we deliver the content? We can't train a company using LinkedIn, right? We can't do that, but the content is good. So what do we do next? We we build an app. Again, I didn't know yet if it's something that I can charge and how much I can charge. So we developed a very light application that was basically an app that companies can register for. And it included the videos, the, you know, the main videos companies need to for training their employees, basically. So that was the first version, what we call the MVP, the most, you know, the limited edition that checks if the product is valuable. So once we've done that, I spoke about it again on social media and a lot of companies registered. It was free of charge. I didn't want to add friction at that point of you know selling anything. I just wanted to test if anybody cares enough to register and start watching and training their employees using these videos over the commercial products. And quickly enough, a community was built around it and people loved it. And it was giving to the community. So I decided to also keep it for free. And that was, I think, a great decision that allowed to build a business model around a freemium and allowed people to start sharing the app and the content online. And that community later was the basis for building the company. After that, I added paid features, but I never touched the original version in terms of, I never never limited more than it was. If anything, I actually always expanded the free offering. I never started to take down anything. So the security awareness basics, which allows a company to train their employees, everything they need for basic security awareness is totally free. That's something that other companies, you know, ask money for. And I think we're probably only the, the, the only company or one of the very few companies that provide the app with the video. Some some companies provide some content on YouTube and other places or downloaded, you know, MP4 files. But we provide an app with the videos, with certification, with tracking users' progress. All of that is provided free of charge for companies, which was the original version that we tested in the MVP. And later we added paid features, like I, like I mentioned before, which includes like phishing simulation and other things. And people started to convert. You know, a lot of companies that use the free version converted to the paid version. And we have over 10,000 organizations using the free version and over 1,000 organizations that have paid for the premium version. We call it the boost version. So this is sort of the path that I took, you know, checking if the thesis makes sense. you need to validate that that, that there's
0: actually a market trend. And then who you decided who to hire first?
1: Well, you know... After I created some of the videos, then I need an app. So I started with, you know, hire a team, some developers. They didn't work full-time at the time, you know, part-time. Again, it was, I'm testing it. So you're almost like buying a project at the beginning, at the early, early days. You're just, you know, you have a, a small scope of building something. You test it out once you have it available, and then you decide... If you decide that this is good enough and you want to continually develop an actual company around it and, and take the app to the next stage, then you're looking to hire like full-time employees. And today, you know, all of our employees almost are full-time.
0: When you hire people, do you intend to hiring the same people similar to you in the way they think or different because you want variety and you want kind of somebody to challenge your ideas to make sure you're not going to that end? Yeah.
1: So this is a great question. And, and it has to do with. So I'm a sole co-founder. I'm, I'm a founder. I don't have any co-founders with me, unlike my previous company. So I'll, I'll split this answer to two to two. When you're looking at diversity of thinking when you're at a very early stage, um, it's not only diversity of thinking, it's also people that are filling gaps in your skill set. So if you're very technical, you want to you want to find a co-founder that maybe is more in sales and marketing, or maybe another founder that is in you know money management and they can raise money and stuff like that. So you want to bring though you know that initial team that includes the components that you need to build the company. Um, in my case, like I said, in my previous company I had co-founder, and this company I took it on myself. So I basically hired people based on the gaps that i had so you know i i have like the dev team the cto whatever is needed but i'm not specifically looking for people that are similar to me i'm looking for good people so and from a culture perspective i'm looking for team players and and from diversity i i do like to hire you know we have you know women and we have like people from all over the world so I, it's something that is very important, I think, from a culture perspective as well.
0: Okay, fair. And I think Next, it's different. Because
1: you Perfect. want to tie, it also has to do with how people feel in the company. Do they feel, do they connect to your mission and to the company culture? So demonstrating that you have diversity and demonstrating not, forget about the customers, you know, just for your internal team, doing that and demonstrating the values you believe in is something very important in order to also hire other people to the company because people have options. You know, they don't necessarily come only for the money. The money is just one aspect. You know, the salary is only one aspect of joining a company. They want to connect to the vision and the mission and also to the culture. So those things are very important if you want to build, you know, a fast-growing company and, and hire good people.
0: Good answer. Thank you. I know we can easily go multiple places in parallel. Yeah. And what's the magic to stay on top of tasks?
1: On, term, on, on top of tasks, I think the I think the most important thing is asking yourself: Are are those tasks? Are they aligned with your vision? It, look, it's very easy to add tasks all day long. And not all tasks have to be done. and you know some tasks are just tasks, so I don't know if completing all tasks is a good thing. Here is the problem, you know if you're if you're very efficient, very, very efficient, and you're going the wrong way, then you're gonna go like a hundred miles per hour to the wrong direction, to the wrong direction. That's worse than doing nothing. You know, going the wrong direction very fast. <laughs> yeah, it's worse. So you always have to ask yourself like are those are these tasks even you know relevant and are they you always have to make sure they match where you want to go and i think a lot of companies don't really understand their vision and their mission sometimes they they think the mission and the vision is making money or being the best in the world I see a lot of, you know, vision statements and mission to be the leader in, you know, it's not about to be the leader in, it's how, how do you change the world? How do you, so for example, for us, you know, we had on our vision statement that we want, we want online safety to be a basic life skill, right? And that's, that's the goal eventually to help get there. So by doing so, we're creating content and features that help kids and elderly people That has nothing to do with revenues. You know, we don't make money out of that. This is something we give for free and we'll never be able to sell it. But we have tasks around those things because a few things. A, people inside the company get excited about it. It's something that they can get behind. It's something that customers see that we're doing. And eventually people buy from companies that share the same values as them. It's not always about the features. So the question is, do you really need to do all those tasks, you know?
0: What goes first, marketing or product?
1: When you build a company, the company goes first. You know, people people need to understand that marketing and product is part of a company, right? So like you have to do both. However, I like to look at marketing like a product. It's, It's one of the same. So if you think about, there's this concept called product-led growth, where the product is leading the growth, which basically means build a product so good, people will talk about it and share it. So I don't distinct between marketing and product. I think the people that build the product need to understand user experience. Yeah, but I'm
0: saying like, do you even publish or do you tell the customer you're doing this even if it's not ready yet?
1: Well, I did it all the time. Like, first of all, I'm sharing people. I want people to know where we're heading. So because if this goes back to what I said earlier, you don't want to go 100 miles per hour to the wrong direction. So you want to make sure that everything you're building in the future, you checked. So I, I want that feedback. I'm not concerned about competitors, to be honest. Like my concern is doing the wrong thing not competitors. So I don't care if competitors sort of know our roadmap and all. That's not my concern. My concern is, are we building things that customers actually care about and want? So I will share often, you know, what we're working on and building on public. I'll do that on LinkedIn, on on other social platforms. And I want to see what people say. Because if people will say, look, this is a stupid idea, I may want to rethink about it. And I don't care that, you know, Competitors can get a glance and see what we're building.
0: What you're saying is don't try to compete with somebody else. Try to be the better version of yourself.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Great. Be, yeah. Just you know, be there for the customers. Make sure you're building something people want. Competitors is like, I hardly ever look at what competitors are doing. Like out of interest, I will look and maybe I will get inspired, but I'm not. I'm not scared if they see what we're doing. And if they try to copy us, that's actually pretty good. That means, you know, we're the leader. That's how you become a leader when everybody's copying you. So, um, and people realize that. So, you know, focus on building a great solution for your customers and get in love. Here's another tip. Don't get in love with your solution. Get in in love with with the problem you're solving. That's the thing that you should fall in love with.
0: It's a good, I like this. I'm going to put it when I publish the podcast.
1: Cool. So that's once you fall in love with a problem, then you understand that, you know, there's different ways to solve it. Yeah. Don't get overexcited about your solution.
0: Great. So we're going to switch topics right now. We're going to completely switch topics. And the listeners, if you're still with us, please don't forget to subscribe and leave comments. It's definitely helping the podcast and everybody else as well. We're going to switch to Dark Side. Right now, it's going to be publicly available, but eventually the Dark Side of the podcast will be for members only. And in the Dark Side, we'll talk about what went wrong. So Gabi, tell me about some dark days, bad hiring, very bad customer meeting, maybe somebody um, else, you think like, I want to stop everything and I to just, you know, down this this project. I hate what I'm doing.
1: Well, Wiser is a relatively a young company, but I can talk about my 20 years of experience. You know, it's not only Wiser, so there's a lot there's a lot of it's a roller coaster people need to understand that it's not something it's not a straight line there's ups and downs and and it comes down to when you for example raise money or you do partnerships it's very easy to like paint money for you can do like partnerships with companies that will say or investors that will want you to develop something or do something that is not in your vision And then they will, only then they will be able to give you money or stuff like that. You you don't want to do that. You don't want to hire people that that are not, you can have some of the smartest people in the world, like really smart, but they're not a team player and they're holding everyone back. You know, that's something that I've, I've seen in the past and it hurts the company. Like you have to know to also let people go, people that you sometimes, you know, personally, you, you love them and they're great people. But if, when you give too many chances, unfortunately, the team, it's not about you, it's about the company, right? Like you can like somebody and you can give them a lot of chances, but if they are making the team miserable and they're holding people back, it's causing issues for the company. So, and it slows down people and it creates a lot of, of frustration and sometimes because it's just not that they're not good, but they're not a good match for the company or for this solution. So this is one thing you have when you begin, when you early stages, when you begin, you'll get a lot of consultants and people that will want to help you and they will want equity and stuff like that.
0: You mean we people have, like me All right.
1: The, again, you have to, you know what, probably, but you have to be careful. I think you're great. Don't get me wrong. But the, in this market, there are a lot of people that will offer help and stuff. And you have to be, it's careful there. You have to be careful with who you take because you can end up giving equity and getting nothing in return in general. So you have to be careful with that. You have to make sure you're working with the right people because there's a lot of them, a lot of them.
0: Tell me about like bad customer meeting, like really bad customer meeting or the worst customer meeting.
1: So it depends. I don't think there are bad customers. You know, sometimes there are people that have different opinions about how to do stuff. But here's the question that you need to ask yourself. For example, if you're specifically selling into the small medium space, for example, and then you get a big customer comes in like a huge company and they have like tons of requests that an enterprise that all makes sense that an enterprise requires. Like I tell people don't necessarily follow the money because if you decided to go to the small medium space, That's what you're selling. You need those features that the big customers are asking for may not be relevant for companies up to 500 employees. Like what a company that has like 50,000 employees wants is totally different than what a company that has 500 employees needs. One needs maybe flexibility. The other one needs simplicity. They don't always match. Don't overlook your market that you define for yourself if that's what you want. And go after the bigger customer just because they're paying a lot. Because then, unless you want to shift from small medium to enterprise, which is fine if that's what you want. But I've been in meetings where I told customers, look, we're not a good fit. And I'm honest about it. I'm telling them, we're not a good fit for you. Like, I'm not going to develop the things you want because we're not going all everything you're asking for makes sense. And maybe a year from now or two years from now, we'll be there. But it's very important to know your market and to develop features that will make your product repeatable. Gotcha. Because if you don't make your product repeatable, you can't scale. If you're developing something very, very specific for a huge customer because they're willing to pay for it, you're taking your small team and you're now focusing on building something that one customer wants. And the market that you started from the one that you want to repeatedly sell into, you're not growing it. So everything has to work together. Product market, fit. Uh, go to market, pricing. We see that also with when investors come in and you want to show that ramp up in sales. Sometimes, yeah, you go after the money versus, and it always chases you back. When you do that, eventually you can't scale because you haven't built a machine. You want to build a machine not to go after that hundred or $200,000 deal or whatever just because the money is there. Again, unless your go-to-market and everything is enterprise.
0: Great. So a couple of last questions. Do you have like a hero model, somebody that to help you to become where you are or when you started your entrepreneurial life, like, oh, this is the guy that I want to be like him, for example. Ah,
1: they changed. I had so many, it depends. Here is something interesting that I found. Every company that I've built, I built differently. So my path at Observe It was enterprise deals, partners. That was, you know, what I've done. We worked with ours, BDR, people calling over the phone and different things that we've done there. With Wiser, it's almost 100% inbound. We don't have BDRs, SDRs, all of that. So, like every company is different. So, and that's also important when you and when you ask for advice, things are moving along. The market is changing, the way people market is changing, the, the way products are delivered is changing. So just remember that the advice you're receiving is not outdated. So, you know, what worked for one person may not work for you. You know, what worked for me at Observe It wouldn't work with Wiser. And I realized that. And with other companies that I've also been involved with in or built, that's why I'm saying you have to be agile in your thought and how you're building something. And that's why I'm not a fan of this hero model. I want to be like somebody specific because you can see even them, they evolve.
0: Awesome. And I think it's led to a different question or similar question. If you're going to go back or you could go back and give an advice to yourself. What would the advice you give to yourself?
1: Don't worry, it'll we'll be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't uh, worry, be happy.
1: Yeah. It's a look, it's a roller coaster, right? Like I love the uncertainty. I thrive in uncertainty. It's probably something with you know how I'm built, but some people need certainty, they need to know what's gonna happen. I love the unpaved path, paving it for my So Like I said, it's a journey. Every journey is different. I think really just try again. And I did it, right? Like I did fail a few times as well. We haven't spoke about it. I had some failures that, you know, went miserably wrong. Like big failures. Here's one thing about entrepreneurship in general. And I tell that to like every founder that I I usually talk to. The odds are, are in your favor. Meaning it's like going to the casino, spinning the roulette and... You fail once, you lose money, you lose money in the second try, in the third try, in the fourth try, in the fifth try. But the difference is that in entrepreneurship, one success will probably cover all your losses. So the odds are in your favor, right? As long as you get up and try again and keep, and it's really important to be honest with yourself. And I think that's an advice, like don't fool yourself. It's so easy to get excited about what you're doing and fool yourself and fight until the end. sometimes it's not a good advice to fight until the end. you should stop before the end, right? like <laughs> don't go if you see that you're crashing, don't keep going like you have to be honest like right? so and that's the hardest part, I think, in general for for people because we're trying to convince ourselves that what we're doing is right and and that's how we are right as as creatures so looking looking in and saying okay this is not working i need to stop this i don't care if i'm letting down other people we have to change direction we have to do this the path for going up is zigzag it's not a straight line so that's something that i would advise anyone not just myself you know because like i said i had failures i got up i asked myself what i learned and i used that as a stepping stone to try again and eventually luck luck shows up if you if you try a few times luck will hit you and because it is part of the game luck but if you don't try again and again then how can you like you know you can you can just increase the chances of success
0: yeah gabi thank you very much a it's lot cool. of good advice i am very grateful that we spoke thank you
1: absolutely thank you very much
0: for everyone that's listening to us and still here please don't forget to subscribe Join the Patreon page to support the podcast. Thank you, everyone, and see you in the next episode.